Welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. And joining us today is Derek Muller, one and only man named Veritasium. <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks for, you know, that wasn't like the smoothest. I, I think I just said words that like didn't necessarily go together, but I think everyone got the point. We got there in the end. Like Veritasium it, is here. Are you sure that he's the one and only? There has, there's never been a Veritasium ever in history before I don't this? think so. Could well, there, could there so be here, another here's Veritasium? The thing. Like, I got the .com, I got the Twitter handle, I got the Instagram. So, you know, it's it's unlikely that anyone else has been uh, moonlighting as Veritasium. We're going to dig something up. <laughs> and it, it's, it's going to be like this old block where Veritasium is carved in it, you know, from like original Latin. And it's going <laughs> yeah. like, oh. Yeah, then I'll feel like a loser. By 2,000 years. One of Julius Caesar's scholars. <laughs> People would often confuse it with like Veritas Serum from uh, Harry Potter. Of course, J.K. Rowling and I had a similar idea that, you know, using the Latin word for truth uh, was good. And she had a serum and I had an element. So, you know, it makes sense that the words are similar. But uh, I didn't even know about that when I named the channel. Yeah. So take that Rowling. <laughs> We're not rewriting that history. That's the one history that will remain intact. Well, Derek, I'm super excited that you were able to join us because two really remarkable things happened with you. Well, because of you, not really. Well, some of it was with you. And, and we'll get into that later because of the way that the algorithm treated one of your recent videos, which was why are 96 million black balls on this reservoir. And now that video is currently at 30 million views. And that occurred in what, two weeks, maybe? Yeah. I mean, it did, it did most of those views in a very short period of time, like, you know, 30 million views in five or six days or, or close yeah, to. Yeah, it's fairly yeah. standard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody gets that. I actually can't <laughs> think, can you think of another video that got that many views? Another science video? I got that many views that quickly. Uh, you know, Mark Rober does a great trade on YouTube. So yeah, he's he's always killing it. Like the uh, the glitter bomb versus uh, yeah, package that thief. got fifty that, some that million. Video did brilliantly. In like a week, 50, 60 million. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. that's about it. You know, I was thinking uh, earlier today that the list of viral educational content creators, pretty small list. I mean, uh, who 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 does what you do, what Mark Rober does, what Destin from Smarter Every Day does? Is that it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, there have been some big Vsauce One videos, I guess. Well, there are, there are a lot of Vsauce One videos that have tens of millions of views. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But not necessarily achieved at that velocity. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something different about getting that in five days because it's just everywhere. The way that this 96 million black balls on the reservoir video was, the way the glitter bomb marks <laughs> glitter bomb video, you couldn't go online. Not YouTube, not Facebook. You couldn't go anywhere without people talking about that video. And that's so rare. King of Random has had some of those that have just exploded, you know, in a really short time period. As yeah. Well. Uh, but like you said, it's a it's a really short list. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like the the system has changed a bit from like the way it used to work, because I've been on the platform for eight and a half years. And, you know, it just seems like, um, yeah, it seems like it never used to work this way. That That's my experience of it anyway. Yeah. And so I want to get into that later, because you did make this great video 
um, what was the exact title? It was, um, my video went viral. Here's why. And that's about the reservoir video, but I want to talk about the reservoir video first, because I think that it's important to kind of establish what that was and why so many people clicked on it. Um, your experience titling the video, um, with your conversation with Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast being the person who I think kind of perfected this new YouTube of creating videos with titles and thumbnails that you cannot help but click on and then delivering on that outrageous promise in the video itself. So it's not clickbait. It's something else. Like, what is that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like what I've realized from doing this is that, um, you know, clickbait is kind of a bad word because I think traditionally it was used to mean something that's misleading, but, uh, like I, I see that people have different conceptions of what clickbait is. Cause when I came out and said like, well, I'm going to have to be a little bit more clickbaity. I hope you guys are okay with that. And then some people were like, yeah, as long as it's accurate, you know, as long as it reflects what's in the video, I don't mind you being a little bit sensational with how you title and thumbnail it. Whereas other people were like, no, that, that like, if you say clickbait, that autom uh, automatically means you are not telling us what's going to be in this video. You're, you're faking us out. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like we need a new word or a new way to differentiate these ideas of like, what are you doing with your title and thumbnail? Um, yeah. Cause I feel like you have to be a little bit you know, intriguing, or you have to have mystery in the title. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be as clickable as something that, you know, does have that mystery or is like, you know, the last person to touch the Lamborghini gets it. So, um, yeah. How do you, how do you play in that world? How do you, how do you compete in that world? Yeah. I think the clickbait thing is interesting because I agree with you that I always thought of clickbait as a bait and switch Yeah, where, uh, the, the, the thumbnail has some shocking thing in it and then you click on it and <laughs> the shocking thing is not in the video. It ends up being whatever, just some person drooling on about whatever. And, and then you're disappointed and, and people freak out. I think that's the way the word was intended. Right. Like that's the original intention of the word, but maybe it's come to be more acceptable or something. I don't know. I don't know. I think that people like Mr. Beast are fulfilling the promise of the clickbait and then it's not clickbait anymore. And I'm wondering if there's something to glean from like the magazine world where you have like the cover of the magazine be really, really appealing so that you buy the magazine um, as mm. opposed to like a like a tabloid where right. a, a tabloid is like lying about like Jennifer Aniston's crazy weight loss does she have this disease buy this you know uh, piece of trash and find out when they're just lying that seems like clickbait in physical form and huh. then you have a magazine like people or whatever that isn't lying to get you to buy it i don't know if that makes sense i think it's a concept that is super old that goes back to uh, really like a storefront even okay so ideally, whether it's you, Derek, you want somebody who is going to be really into every one of your videos, right? Until you stop making them. That's the ideal thing is this family yeah. life. You know, same with you, Kevin. That's the same thing that a restaurant wants. They want somebody who's going to come in once a week until the end of time. That's the ideal thing. So how do you get them in there? Well, you got to start by getting them in the process, however that is, Right. Getting them in the door. You got to get them in the door. Yeah. And for you guys, mm -hmm. 
it happens to be done with a click. But it's really no different than having a, a store and saying, well, hey, no matter how great this store is, nobody nobody would even know if they don't walk in in the first place. With the great window dressing, it's, sure. the, it's the same thing, the yeah. window dressing in a storefront of like Macy's or something where they have the $9,000 dress yeah, and, and then they get you in for the rest. Right. And what Mr. Beast does so well is that he delivers, like you said, he sets this crazy expectation and then delivers on it. And I think the same process, which we've seen on, on Vsauce 2 data, uh, where uh, some people subscribe the first time they see a video, right? A lot of them, it takes a few videos. Mm-hmm. And I was watching this episode of uh, Bar Rescue or something, right? You know, and John Taffer is talking about uh, how he, how, how it's like three tries really at, at winning over a customer. You've got to get them in and then a certain percentage aren't going to come back. Then some come back a second time. And then it's the third time really where like the hard sale is made. If you make it a great experience on those three tries, you're going to have somebody who really likes you and sticks around. Mm -hmm. I I honestly think of what you guys do in that same way, where the whole thing happens to start with a click. And to get that click, you kind of need to bait it. Mm. I mean, it's interesting to hear you talk about it this way, because the big difference that I've always felt between what we do and other traditional uh, sort of venues, like going into a store, is that, you know, if I want to, uh, you know, visit a store for, I don't know, sporting goods or something like there's only so many stores for me to go to, or, you know, if I want to go for groceries, like there's a finite number of stores. So it, uh, I guess the difference between the online YouTube world and the real physical world is to me, it feels like it's more possible to be aware of the things in the physical world. Like, you know, even if you don't want to go into that store, you kind of know that it exists or whatever, because it's in your local neighborhood. Um, whereas on YouTube, it's like this infinite sea of potential stores and most of them never raised to the level of consciousness. So for me, like this is why I, I spend so much time obsessing about the algorithm is because it really is this matter of how do you find yourself into this sweet spot where you'll actually raise to the level of pe- people's consciousness. You'll actually, you know, have people be aware of you um, because that's the biggest thing you need to do in order to get people to watch. It's like, how do you get on main street? You know, yeah. like if you are a store, you got to be on Main Street or else nobody will find you. You can't just be <laughs> like on Pluto. <laughs> They'll right. never find you and out I th- there. I think what you're saying about the algorithm mattering to you, uh, I think that fits, too, with kind of the, that restaurant example where somebody needs to eat there a couple times. Right. If the algorithm isn't uh, playing nicely with your content, somebody's not going to be served a second video of yours so that you can follow up and say, hey, remember me? This one's good, too, you know, and get them to subscribe and buy in at that point or a third one. And so the better the better uh, your videos play on the actual website like that, the more likely it is somebody has a chance to recognize your quality and then sign up for more. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the game. But but before I really want to get back to the 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 reservoir video first. We, we get, I mean, we're so excited to talk algorithm. We just can't, can't help but just start swimming in that reservoir. But look, I, I want to understand as a creator from your mouth, how that video comes to fruition from ideation to mm. upload, because there's a lot going on there. You find this reservoir covered in these black plastic balls. And then you say, 
uh, hello, Reservoir. My name is Derek, and I want to make a YouTube video about your... <laughs> Your black balls, yeah. uh, and the, you know, like literally, that's this is what I'm thinking. Watching the video is okay. How did he even do this? So, Derek, how yeah. did you even do that? Okay, so the black balls video. I think the idea goes back years because there was a time when this dumping of black balls into the reservoir kind of went viral uh, on the internet by itself. Like people were just watching that video of the truck dumping these black balls into water, but there wasn't really an explanation around it. It was just sort of, this is a spectacle and it made news around the world. So I guess that brought it you know, into my consciousness and made me think, hmm, what are they really doing? And maybe that's something I could do a video about. And it was talking about how it reduced evaporation and it seemed wrong to me because I was like, well, they're black balls. It seems like it would heat up the water and make things worse. So uh, I was always curious about what, what exactly was going on there. I mean, it, it triggered my personal curiosity, um, but it also was like, you know, clearly a visual spectacle. Um, so at some point, and I knew these uh, reservoirs were in LA and I'm based in LA. So it seems like an obvious you know, topic to do, given that it's kind of right here. Um, recently, I've been experimenting with like hiring someone to help me, you know, develop projects. So I gave this project to this new researcher writer who I've been sort of starting to work with. And I said, you know, can you figure out, can we make a video about this? And she came back to me and she was like, mm, I don't think there's enough science here. It's just, you know, there's some balls, it's on a lake, you know, whatever, there's nothing here. And I was like, I don't know. It just feels to me like there's more to it. Like, I don't know. I just, I just told her to dig. And so she went away and dug and like talked to the, you know, water and power company here and, you know, started the ball rolling. But this was like a, a several months long process of sort of courting the power company and getting them to, to agree to allow us to come out and then you know, film with them. So, you know, uh, a lot of the credit has got to go to my researcher writer and also to the power company for, you know, saying yes and getting me out there. But initially it was, he's not going on the boat. There's no drone allowed. You know, it was like, what, what would I actually have filmed if I had gone out there? And like, even, even like when we arrive at that boat, they're essentially saying to me, so what do you want us to do on the boat? You can stand here and film the boat from the shore. Like that's essentially what they said to me. And I was like, guys, like, just like, let's go on the boat. And they're like, you haven't signed a waiver. And so I, I told them like, pull out your phone and I will record a video. And I actually did this for them where I said, I sign away my life. You know, I understand the risks that I'm taking. They're entirely my own. I, uh, you know, relieve, uh, this company from all liability, et cetera. So eventually they, they did, you know, give me the life jacket and let me on the, uh, let me on the boat. But, uh, there was also like, they didn't want to let me fly a drone and stuff. So, Anyway, um, I, I guess that's how it came about was like genuine curiosity mixed with the, you know, a bit of perseverance. What's so interesting to me about that story is that you had to push it. Oh, yeah. That you were working with somebody. I, I don't even mean just from a logistics standpoint, because that's that to me is everything like logistics are boring. And, and, and I hate getting into the weeds of getting permission to do things. What's interesting to me is you pushing something creatively that someone that you hired thought was boring. They said, eh, yeah, this is kind of boring. I mean, and you're like, I don't think so. And guess what? <laughs> it's like the most viral video of the year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like the biggest video I've had, uh, particularly in a short period of time. And 
I, I just had a sense, I guess, maybe from the fact that it went viral the first time. I was like, you know, there's some, some, there's some hook here. There's something about it. And then when she came back with like the bromate story, I was like, whoa, you know, there's some serious science here. I, I had to cut a lot of stuff because, you know, they even did experiments with water bottles where they tied them all on a rope and they actually uh, dropped them down in the reservoir. And then they brought the water bottles back up and tested bromate in each one. And they could show that there was a gradient in the amount of bromate formed depending on depths, because the sunlight can penetrate different depths. Obviously, as you get deeper, it gets darker. So there's less bromate formation at the depths. So there's some really cool science in there. But, you know, ultimately, I, you know, some of it had to go. So, um, yeah, you know, it was all fascinating to me. And, and when I figured out there was a deeper science story behind, it's not just evaporation, but it's actually a carcinogenic, you know, chemical triggered by the sun, you know, like I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I was really excited about it. And I, and honestly, to be out there and to see it, uh, it, it blew me away. It was, you know, crazier than I imagined. I didn't know that it was going to be 96 million. I didn't know how like 175 acres were going to be covered in these black balls. Like it was all of it was absurd. <laughs> So, you know, it's always cool when you can find something that's absurd and be like, you know, there's there's a scientific reason for mm -hmm. this. So was it a good thing or a bad thing that this general topic had been viral in the past? Because we've we've talked about different ideas at, at different times where something was a big thing five years ago or somebody's made a, a great video on it that was huge. Uh, and even if something's been done, you can put your own spin on it. But was that was that a credit to the idea? Uh, did that did that affect you wanting to go forward with it? Or, you know, I'm confused about whether like pre virality is uh, an asset or a hindrance or nothing. So I, I think it can be helpful. Um, it's it's funny because I, like if someone's done an amazing video about a topic, like if, if there was the definitive shade ball video that existed, then I probably wouldn't have done the idea. So it was really about like. It, has the real story of these things been told? And I think in the case of the shade balls, you can reasonably make the argument like, no, no one had really dug into the science or really explained it in a way that um, went went there, like went to the real reason for it. So, yeah. So I guess it's a, it's a mixed blessing and you have to make that call of like, has this been done to death or has this been done in the best way? And if it has, like, I probably won't touch it. But if it, if there's something there that I'm like, no, everyone's missing the real point, then there's a real opening there. And the pre-virality is like, it's a sign that this is sort of a sticky idea that, you know, people are interested in. So if there's a Vsauce 2 Shade Bowls video 2024, <laughs> it had better be something fantastically new or Right, like invalidating yours, right? You can't. You can't exactly, yeah. yeah. Invalidating mine would be the the perfect thing. Write that down. Yes, yes. That's okay. Great. Invalidate <laughs> Derek in ten years. Um, <laughs> destroy Derek's career. <laughs> hey, this episode is sponsored by Skillshare, and we love Skillshare. It's really a great fit for the create unknown. So much so that Matt literally has a personal story in which Skillshare just recently kind of saved him from a project. Isn't that right? Why don't you uh, explain? It's so funny. You know, you get these sponsorships and I'm sure I'm sure many podcasters and, and YouTubers have little to no actual connection to the product. But with Skillshare, we literally use Skillshare. So, so why don't you tell them 
Uh, what happened recently with you? Yeah, so like you said, uh, I've used Skillshare for a couple of years now. We came across it and uh, it, it's just super effective and has such a broad range of, of stuff. So what happened with me is I was doing this freelance project where I had a network of subcontractors and freelancers, right? And one of them just completely ghosted me right on on the deadline day. Yay. I mean, totally <laughs> MIA. And I, uh, yeah, no, no, like emergency thing. No, this, this guy just dropped Poofed. the ball and went home. Um, and it happened to be an element of the project that I couldn't just do myself. It was just a little bit out of my depth. And I thought, okay, I have two options here. I can try to figure out what's up or I can hire somebody else. And hiring a capable, competent person like the same day to finish that day is gonna be extremely expensive and probably I'm not gonna find the right one. Uh, so kind of last ditch uh, attempt was to go to Skillshare and look up look up this uh, this kind of subset of the project and say, okay, can I understand what this is about in about half an hour or an hour? And then I'll at least be able to choose my course of action. So I'm going through this course and I at least understand what the problem is about halfway in. And I realize that for $100, I can get some software that will do what that, what that freelancer was going to do. So instantly, problem solved, problem solved and I saved probably $2,000 by that happening, which is like, I don't know, Skillshare premium through 2024 or 2044. <laughs> it's like 20 years of Skillshare. Um, yeah. Yeah. It paid yeah, for itself my... over and over and over again and, and simply allowed yeah. you to just learn the thing yourself rather than paying yeah. some, you know, expert or, or supposed expert, because who even knows mm -hmm. with some of these people that you hire to do these gigs, you just go to, you just went to Skillshare, learned it yourself so that you knew how to do it exactly how you wanted it to be anyway. Yeah, that was really amazing. The value on that for me was tremendous because when I think about how much money uh, it saved me, uh, I'm not even factoring in like the, the ER visit for the heart attack that I probably <laughs> would have had that day right. had it not worked out. I mean, it, it just... It, at this point, I have a decent network of people I can trust, but these things do come up, right? And you've got to be able to solve that problem. And it's not the first time that, that Skillshare has been a safety net for me. It's certainly the biggest time that it has. I've never had like a massive savings, uh, like save the day situation the way I did on this one. But I've had a whole lot of little ones where it's like, oh, I've, I've got to figure out what this thing is about so that I can have a good conversation with somebody, you know, or I have questions, but I need to know more so that I'm asking the accurate, appropriate questions. And I can pop on Skillshare, do some kind of crash course uh, tutorial, and within an hour, pretty much every time, I have a reasonable enough understanding of what it is to be able to proceed. So this time it saved me a ton of money, massive headache, totally saved the day. Uh, but most of the time, it just plain just plain fills the gaps in and, and makes me better at everything that I do. Yeah, yeah. And if you need to know anything about business, about design, about editing videos, then Skillshare has a course for you because there are over 26,000 courses there taught by experts. And because of our deal with them, we extend the savings to you. We got you a deal. So you get two months of Skillshare for free. You just go to Skillshare.com slash create unknown. That's two months for free and learn everything that there is 
to know because why not? That's Skillshare.com slash create unknown. Enjoy. I, I just want to go hit, I don't want to beat a dead horse over this, but I think it's really important for people to realize, um, especially creators and people interested in making YouTube, that sometimes you have to trust your instincts on something. And even if other people think that, you know, what you're exploring isn't in- interesting, that doesn't mean that it isn't interesting. It just means that maybe it takes a unique perspective or it takes mm. a passion that that is like inborn or that is natural for a person to kind of extract what is interesting from something that by all general appearances seems kind of lame. Yeah, I, I was really impressed when you said that, that you pushed through because immediately I thought, I don't think there are a lot of creators who would hit that that hurdle or that roadblock and then not just switch to a different topic. I right. mean, the fact that you blasted through is awesome and kind of why Veritasium is Veritasium. I think so, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll take the compliment. Um, yeah, it's it's weird because if you if you pick a topic that no one thinks is interesting, like none of your friends think is interesting, then that that's kind of like a bad sign, I would say, typically. So it's funny because like you 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 rise and fall on on kind of public opinion or or public interest. So you know, I'd say often like the view of my friends is useful. But I know my my, uh, my wife mentioned this to a colleague at work that I was working on a shade ball video, and one of her colleagues was like, "Oh, shade balls! Everyone knows about that. Like, why is he bothering with a video about that?" So I think you also have to be careful about being in your own little bubble or your own little silo where you know all, all your friends know a lot more know more about a particular topic than the general public does. <laughs> I was just gonna say, um, can you imagine thinking? Everyone knows about shade balls. <laughs> Can you imagine even thinking that? Because I can't. I can't. I can't imagine. This is a good test for everybody watching this, okay? Pull your friends, and if more than like half of them know all about shade balls, you need new friends. This is bad for you. Just, just yeah. break out of your shade ball reservoir bubble and meet new people because there are a lot of other people out there. You're living the big bang. Other theory. than the shade ball like connoisseurs. I'm sorry for derailing your interesting point, but that just kind of uh, short-circuited my brain. I wonder if, if partly that's like an L.A. thing, that because they were here in L.A. and right. because it was such a big news story, right. you know, someone living in L.A. could get the sense that, like, everyone knows about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I had the confidence that, like, people wouldn't know about it. And and I feel like that's almost something you can always bank on is that, like, whatever topic you choose, there's going to be a ton of people who are ignorant of it. Um, and so if you just pick something that is, you know, in that sort of viral arena, you know, you will, you will find that new audience that had no idea about it before. We've talked about that with, with Vsauce 2 videos, uh, like your series on all oh, the math problems and things like that. There's a portion of subscribers who have an understanding of math way beyond those videos, or they've encountered those specific problems and riddles and things like that in the past. But you know what? That's not everybody. That's not most of them, even in the subscriber mm-hmm. base, let alone, you know, the rest of the world, the seven plus billion, whatever, who are not subscribers. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's always room to reach those people. But you can bet the people who do know about it are going to be really vocal about their knowledge and be like, I know this already. Or, you know, haven't I seen this video before? I got that a bit with the shade balls thing. But, you know, it's those people who just want to make a, you know, hold up their hand and be like, yeah, me, I knew this already. You know? It's good to make them feel smart, to give them an opportunity to to be, you know, the sharp guy. Like, that's that's cool. It's their contribution. It makes them feel like an individual to do that. So I, I get yeah. it. Yeah. It is annoying. Though. <laughs> it, can, it can be. It can be. I had, I had an instance of that recently where um, Henry, uh, Minifysics, did yep. a topic. He's always annoying. He, he did a topic years ago <laughs> that... Um, Vsauce 2 just covered and I didn't realize it like I, I honestly which one was which one was that I mean it's hard for us all to stay on top of everything so yeah do you remember what Henry's was called so um the Vsauce 2 video is called the demonetization game mm. and I have seen that okay uh, Henry did that with a different example it, did, it obviously didn't involve eggs right. and youtubers um and there were there were definitely elements that he covered that Vsauce 2 did not cover and vice versa but um, I had somebody email me, my like a personal email that was concerned, like legitimately concerned for me that I was mm. going to get in trouble, um, that oh, Henry no. was going to like sue me or something for stealing his idea. <laughs> and I'm like, stolen math. <laughs> like, first of all, I don't think Henry's going to sue me. Uh, like, he's a pretty nice guy. He's a pretty nice guy. <laughs> it's like Percy Jackson and the math thief. You know, you're like a living children's book or something like that. Pretty much. Shouldn't that's how I would describe myself. You shouldn't steal math. Shouldn't steal math. No. <laughs> but but anyway, it was nice of this person, but it just goes to show you that there are different kind of understandings of people kind of covering the same topic or like I had a video, The Invention of Blue, that came out a while ago. And Joe Hansen from It's Okay to Be Smart sent me a message as soon as that came out and was like, no, I'm literally writing a script about this topic. And he sent it like he sent me like the Google Doc of his like blue video. Oh, man. And I'm like, well, whatever. I screwed over Johansson, too, with my video about the ultraviolet. You know, he was like had his ultraviolet filter just about to put it on his camera. And then I dropped the world in UV and he's like, no. (laughs) So the guy the guy gets messed over a lot. Yeah. But the, the 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 end of the story is that Joe did his video anyway. It was much hmm. more about the biology of the color blue, and his video did better than mine. It was so, so perfectly hmm. complimentary. It was great. When I see people, uh, when I see people talk about Kevin's video, it pops up on Facebook all the time, especially in uh, kind of uh, artistic discussions. Right? I bet I see it every month or two. Somebody will specifically talk about this, and every time it pops hmm. up. I take Joe's video and say, hey, check out this one, too, because it, it takes a different approach. It covers some different things. And those two videos, which at that moment you talked about, you know, hit together like this. And, and both of you kind of groaned, I'm sure. What turned out was two videos that were really like perfectly complimentary, mm-hmm. made uh, a good one two punch uh, and everybody kind of wins. So it's a neat process the way that works out. I think so. Yeah. I think uh, the same thing happened with the fidget spinners too. A lot of people came out with very complimentary videos at the same time and just boom. Same thing with slime. Of course, here I'm being a bit facetious because it seems, again, I'm going to argue that the system has certain things that are like 
weird nonlinearities that that spiral off in a weird direction that no one could ever have imagined. But like, if there's you know five great videos about gummy chickens, then you know there's going to be fifty great videos about gummy chickens, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. So, well, I liked your snail um, example in your video, so let's get into that. So. You made this video about your viral video, which was the Shade Balls video, and your hype. Can I, can I give you a little backstory on that video? Yeah. Like, I actually started writing that video after the performance of my uh, video about negative ions. Okay. So I spent a lot of time and you know working on this video about negative ions, and I, I, frankly, I thought it was the best video I've ever made, or you know, it's up there. And the kind of metrics that I looked at after I posted were like, you know, given the number of views that it has, like how many likes are there per view? And it was the most of any video I've made. How many dislikes? It was like the least. How many shares? It was the most. How many comments? It was the most. So. There were all kinds of metrics looking at like how long do people watch this video? They watched it longer than any video I've ever made, like roughly double the length of the the normal amount that people watch of a video of mine. So it was like all the signals I could see were saying this is an amazing video. And uh, it didn't get that many impressions. In fact, the previous video I'd uploaded was about spinning black holes. And when I compared their first three days, I saw spinning black holes had uh, 33% more impressions. So it was just getting out there and getting shown more. And so I, you know, I queried YouTube and I was like, what, you know, what's going on? Like by all the metrics I can see, this is a great video. And yet it's not getting the impressions and it's getting fewer views as a result. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say technically, but <laughs> we can, you know, we can always beep it out. Just yeah. Like well, a 40 I mean, what I was hearing was like, negative ions is not a term that uh, is used a lot on the platform. Like not a lot of people are talking about negative ions. Plenty of people talk about black holes. So if you upload a video about black holes, YouTube knows exactly where to show that. Show that, you know, with some of the other black hole videos. You upload something about negative ions, YouTube doesn't really know, like, what do I do with this? You know? Um, So so partly that that was kind of the answer of like what, what was happening to that video. So I started writing this sort of video about my thoughts about YouTuber burnout and about the fact that like, you know, we're sort of at the whim of of a system. And uh, I never made the video because I sort of after a while sort of petered out. And, you know, if you have a kind of less successful video and you complain about the algorithm, that's easy. But if you have a really successful video and you complain about the algorithm, I mean, (laughs) that's the thing that I think, you know, makes more sense. So it was just so funny because I went to the creator summit and had this conversation with Beast. And, you know, it was so kind of eye opening for me to see that, like, for all the things that I thought that I was meant to be doing, like making great videos and making content that's educational and that's entertaining and that like people want to watch, you know, what he was showing me was, it all means nothing unless you have a title and thumbnail that people want to click. Like that, that this brilliant brain of Google, this you know machine learning algorithm that is like crunching all the likes and the shares and the comments and the watch times and the engagement and whatever and coming back. And like none of it means anything except really click through rate and the fact that they actually watch the video. And so once I realized that, I was like, oh, this is such clarity. And here I have this video that's about to come out. It's about these shade balls. And I'm I'm like, 
calling my shot. I'm like, this thing is going to be big. And I had Beast telling me this is going to do 10 million. No problems. He said he'd bet his life. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Cause I like, I, I have not known the system to work in this way, but if you see this thing and you recognize it for what it is, you know, I recognize that it could be viral because, you know, of, of the past of it, but I never, you know, in my wildest dreams would have bet on 30 million views in, in a week. So, um, but once that happened, then I felt like, okay, so here's, here's really the other data point. So I have the data point for like, you know, what I feel is a great video and what everyone says is a great video. And then I have a data point for like, what I think is a, is a really good video, but just has a very clickable title and thumbnail. And you can see the, the like order of magnitude difference in how it's treated and how it's, uh, how it's perceived and how it's viewed by people. Um, and I thought, so now is the time for me to come out and say like, this is what looks to be happening from my perspective and really, you know, spell that out for everyone. Yeah. And, and when you said the thing about YouTube, not knowing how to treat a video about negative ions, that's something that Matt and I have spent all year basically talking about with Vsauce 2 is to try to give YouTube as many signals as we can to let it know, hey, this is where, you know, this video belongs in the ecosphere because of recommended and related. Mm. And I think that recommended and related are how people browse and use YouTube these days. It's not obviously not subscriptions like you talk about in your video. It used to be subscriptions, but that wasn't really working out too well, you said, for uh, the overall health of YouTube. Like maybe people got bored, perhaps, with yeah, their I mean, subscriptions I, I just, so they weren't seeing new fascinating videos. I think it is that thing that like it, it, it's a good question, sort of what would be the ideal sort of distribution of a channel's views. Like one one way to, to have a channel get views would be like every subscriber watches every video. So basically you always have like view number equals sub number and it's constant over time. Like obviously that's ridiculous um, and, and is not the ideal. The other extreme would be that like there's some videos you have that do 100 million because, you know, YouTube shows it to everyone and everyone wants to see that video. And another video you upload gets two views because YouTube's like, mm, you know what, this is not a killer. And they just shrink it to nothing. So that's the kind of thought experiment that I always go through is like, what is the right distribution? What is the right variance that a channel should have between its sort of most viewed video and its least viewed video and its average video? And uh, I think what I've seen during my time on the site is definitely it's gone uh, more from the sort of consistent uh, model to one where you can get these wild fluctuations depending on what each topic is. And I think for YouTube as a whole, that works out as a better system, like a, a system that gets people watching more overall minutes on the site and maybe coming back to YouTube more. And I think ultimately that's what YouTube is optimizing for. And uh, so th that's the sort of decision they've made and the way the system is working now. This episode is sponsored by Audible. Thank you to them for helping support the Create Unknown. If you want to support your own brain, then you need to sign up for Audible because Audible members can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two Audible originals that you cannot get absolutely anywhere else. That's what originals mean. And you also get unlimited access to more than 100 audio-guided meditation and fitness programs, along with free access to top newspapers delivered daily to the Audible app. 
And really the whole thing is very easy. You get free exchanges, you can listen on any app, and you can keep your library forever and ever and ever, even if you cancel. I recommend that you check out Creativity Inc. It's about Pixar from its beginning up through its huge, gigantic success, and, and it dives into all the ways they set up the studio to combine the creative side and the business side. It's it's amazing. It's really what we love to do here at The Create Unknown. So go listen to that. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial, and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Just check out audible.com slash the create unknown or text the create unknown one word, no spaces to 500 500. That's audible.com slash the create unknown or text the create unknown one word, no spaces to 500 500 and start listening today and help support the show, help support your brain, help support everything you've ever loved. That's a little dramatic, but I mean, you get the hint. So are they trying to make a greatest hits album of YouTube, I, basically? I guess, yeah. Where it's like, yeah. this is Derek's, you know, smash hit. Yeah, this is a lot Kevin's of people want to listen to the hit. single. You yeah, know, they want to listen to Despacito, but they don't know any other songs by the guy. So, <laughs> right. you know. Right, I, I Shade Balls is your Despacito is what we just figured <laughs> it, out. I, I think, think that's right. <laughs> but it seems like that's what you're inferring. That yeah. that might be like we just need to have the singles and then I don't know what you call the rest, all the B sides. Yeah. Um for the subscribers. The filler on the album. Yeah. It's sort of like a radio station, right? Where they're gonna play the hits, the the classic, the new, whatever it is, uh, rather than like chunking down an album over the course of an hour. Some people are gonna be really into that. And they do that on certain programming, but most of the time, like, yeah. you're probably going to spend the most time listening to the station if it's one-offs, right? Mm -hmm. A big uh, circular... The, the big smash. The top 40. Uh, top 40. Yeah. 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 It's interesting to think like, oh, so that happens in traditional media. So maybe it's not that surprising that it happens on YouTube too? Yeah. The thing that I wonder about a lot is the creators who are being left behind by this because like i think that you and i are in a very unique position just with our history with youtube our relationships with youtube that we're considered part of like this youtube illuminati almost of yes. people who will get on the trending page because like the people at youtube deem our channels safe brand friendly ad friendly like general public friendly and for now, for now, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until I start just going off the rails. But <laughs> but I wonder, so you make this analogy of the iceberg, which I think is a very, very fitting one. And I think that we are at the visible end of the iceberg. We're above the surface of the water, but everybody else who's below it, how in the world do they break through Yeah, and get above the surface? So, so my thoughts on this are kind of twofold. One is I totally agree with you uh, that we are in this really privileged position uh, of having visibility. The other thing is the way the system is working today, I think is both helpful for smaller creators and also unhelpful. It's helpful in this way. What I've seen YouTube do more recently is 
if you have a super clickable video, like your click-through rate is 10% or 20%, it doesn't matter anymore if your channel is really small. In the old days, if you had 10,000 subs, you'd sort of have a bit of a cap on you, like you couldn't really blow up. But these days, you know, if you have a small number of subs, but you post a super clickable video, then YouTube will like keep growing it and growing it and growing it because really that CTR and make, and if people watch the video for a significant length of time, really those are the things that matter. And so it's possible as a smaller creator to just blow up. On the other hand, if you are a creator that does not make super clickable videos and you're small, you're sort of worse off than ever because it seems harder to grow those sort of small steady audiences um, than it used to be five years ago. So easier, I would say, to go viral if you're going to be super clickable, but harder if you're just trying to like do a, a little bit more like what I did, you know, which was sort of grow slowly and, you know, build this audience along with me that like came along for me, maybe as much as the content or, you know, along with the content. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of mixed thoughts about like what it's like to be a small creator this, these days. So it makes me wonder, and this is something also that you kind of bring up towards the end of, of the video about your hypothesis on the algorithm is are we in the end game of what YouTube is and the type of content that surfaces and the, the type of content that doesn't like, you know, it's evolved so, so many times over the years, uh, naturally, obviously, as mm -hmm. any platform would, uh, especially one as popular as YouTube. But where does it go from here without any sort of like really revolutionary platform changes. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I don't know. Uh, it seems to me, so I, I avoided using this term, the medium is the message in the video, but it's sort of what I was skating around. So this, this phrase comes from a media theorist in the 1970s, Marshall McLuhan, came up with this, this term, the medium is the message. And I feel like it's so totally misunderstood, and, and I, I still don't know that I understand it. But my impression of what he actually meant by that, I mean, if you take it at face value, you're like, medium is the message. Okay, so TV is the message. So film is the message, not like what film I'm watching or what TV I'm watching. It sounds crazy. But if you look into the way he was actually using these words, he was using the word medium to mean any technology. So in that way, like a whiteboard could be a medium or even a light bulb or a car, like all of these things to Marshall McLuhan were mediums. And in terms of message, what he was saying was not the content of that medium, essentially, but like the effect of that medium. So essentially what he was saying by saying the medium is the message was he was saying the technology is the effect or the, the technology is the thing that is grossly determining the effect. So I, I think a great example is like cars being a medium and Los Angeles being the effect. You know, once we had cars, you know, you think, what does that give people? You think that the message is you know, freedom and individual, you know, ability to go wherever you want, whenever you want. But the real effect is the creation of a city like Los Angeles, which gives everyone nice big yards and stuff like that, but also creates urban sprawl for incredible distances, creates tons of smog, creates all sorts of respiratory tract problems, creates traffic and depression and these long commute times. So it's like all these things like that is the that is the message. That is the message of a car. The message of a car isn't freedom like you thought it was. Anyway, so, you know, 
I, I think about applying this to YouTube. Like if the algorithm works in a particular way, what is the message of this site? And it seems to me like the message of the site is shifting more towards super clickable viral content. And it's not as much a place where like education or science rises to the top as much as it used to. Um, and I think YouTube would argue like they've done that move for a reason and because it is better for the site or because they think it's better for viewers. I mean, it's really tough to measure those things. Um, but that definitely seems to be the way it's going. I think about all these different platforms like Reddit or Instagram or Pinterest, like Twitter, they each have a particular way of distributing content. And because of the way the content is distributed, a certain kind of content becomes the sort of core of the platform or like the soul of the platform, which then determines who's on it, right? Like the, the audiences of Reddit and Pinterest are not hugely overlapping because, you know, the different ways that you share content and the different types of content that get shared determine who the audience is. So these are the big questions that like I'm left with is like, what is YouTube becoming? What, what will it be known for? What, it, what will its character be? What will its soul be? And therefore who will be drawn to it and which creators will be able to, you know, really reach that audience. I, I it, it's like the biggest existential question for me. Um, yeah. I mean, what do, you, what do you think? I think there's a great opportunity now in, in this confusion to kind of segment what you do with the community that you're building. And when you talk about the medium being the message and using examples like that, Discord has come up as a fantastic example of that with guys like Quackity Carson, you know, uh, people who have, have taken this little piece of technology and done something with it that YouTube can't do. Okay. Or uh, Twitch did that do. too. Twitch, Twitch well. totally did yeah. that. Did yeah. something that YouTube couldn't do, and now it's this massive thing. Yeah, and mm. we're doing it uh, with with the Create Unknown. We have you know on our Discord server, and if uh, you're watching this and you're not in it, rectify that mistake in your life. <laughs> okay, it's it's a must join. But no, we get to interact with a group of people in a way that we can't elsewhere, and that's. Awesome. Certainly not on YouTube. Certainly. Not oh my gosh. No, and we get to know them. Uh, we get to check in with them and listen to their feedback, and that's amazing. And mm. that's not on YouTube, right? So it, we have this thing that's on every podcast uh, app, and and you know a lot of people listen on their phones. It's also on YouTube, and then we have this other thing where we can interact in a different way and pull different value out of that and give different value out of that. That. Kind of didn't exist six, seven years ago in that way. Right. As everything you said with with kind of how YouTube is existing at this point, there are a lot of opportunities uh, opening up uh, to work those other little things in and really customize the way you build and deal with your audience in a way that everybody really likes. You do have to go elsewhere, though, um, mm. to yeah. kind of scratch the different itches that you have. I mean, I, I know for me personally, I love Twitter. Twitter is fantastic to me. It's my favorite social media platform to be a part of, to, to scroll through, to add to, because you can just share ideas. And I'm just a person who likes ideas. That's what I like more than anything else. You know, when I got into making YouTube videos, it was to share ideas. And I, I love the ability to do that in video form because you get to edit what the thing looks like. You get to shoot what the thing looks like. You get to 
um, say things and show things, which is a big deal. I mean, before YouTube, it was really hard to, unless you're in person, to communicate to somebody else as well as you can now on YouTube. But like you said, what it's become now, it has definitely kind of funneled what that communication is for me in order to, to reach the the most amount of people that I can. Whereas on Twitter, I feel a lot less pressure. I feel a lot more open creatively. Um, I was talking to Michael from Vsauce the other day about Twitter, and he was just laughing about the fact that he tweeted the word loaf. (laughs) And that's it. Just L-O-A-F, just loaf, and just hit, you know, hit send or whatever. And it got, you know, thousands of retweets. It probably made a bunch of people laugh. Why? I don't know. But it... But the word loaf coming from Michael was entertaining, and that was enough. It's just four characters, and it took him a split second to do. And I think the medium of being the message on Twitter can go awfully awry quickly. And you could be, it could be the worst platform in the world if you want it to be. Um, But I also think conversely, at least for me, it can be the best one as well, depending on how you're interacting with Mm. it. Yeah, that's fascinating. I uh, I saw you tweeted a bunch of viral video ideas uh, the other day. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you well, want to make a ninety seven million gummy bear pool, I mean, let's let's get started. I'd watch that video. I think everybody would. Everyone that's a would. That's the problem. View. Yeah. <laughs> so that tweet was obviously satirical like, mm. of of where we're at right now with YouTube, where that tweet took me. 30 seconds to write. You got those ideas at the ready. I mean, you get those ideas all the time. Well, you know, they just flow. <laughs> when I when I read a swimming pool filled with rusty forks and knives, I looked at that and I thought, he thought very deeply about this and it took him all day. No. <laughs> so I was wrong then? No, no, no. Here, here was we the thought the process. This. Well, first of all, I think, I think pool videos and like feel, filling the pools with things that shouldn't be in pools is just such low hanging fruit for people to click on. So that was where the tweet started was like, okay, like these ridiculous pool videos are just so easy to come up with filling a pool with whatever. So that was the Genesis of the tweet. And then the knife thing was I just did pool of knives because I wanted to come up with something as dangerous as possible. And then I did add rusty because I thought, you know what? Why not make these knives rusty so you get chopped to bits and tetanus on top well, of it? I was going to say, this is a perfect science video about tetanus, right? Like, you, you can teach people all about that. So uh, I think that's a smart idea. Now, full disclosure, I am tentatively planning a pool video. So I'm going to I'm gonna let you in on it right now. Uh, and, and I'm not actually being facetious. I, I am planning this right now. Um, we'll see we whether to it comes to fruition or not. But, but I have a pool video in the works, you know, because... You know, can't beat them, join them. So um, I think we've got to know what's in it. You want to know what's in the pool? We need a hint because you can't read the the podcast going out. Uh, Thursday, a week from today. Okay. I can't reveal. I can't reveal because it'll be, it'll be too soon. Okay. Is is it like a, a, what state is it? 
Because I have to say, is it a solid or a liquid? Yeah, it's a pool filled with bricks. No, but like... Uh, a pool of <laughs> bricks. I think that's just called bricks. <laughs> that's just a patio, right? <laughs> <laughs> is there some kind of hint? Can I, is, can I... I'll tell you that it'll be mostly filled with water, so... Um, mostly. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, and I'm mostly filled On with the water. top will be shade balls. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I, I, I didn't know where we're... Oh, yeah, the pool video tweet. Oh, yeah, I wanted to get back. The only reason that went really viral for me, that tweet, is because Ethan from H3H3 replied, Michael liked it, and then PewDiePie liked it. And once uh, PewDiePie likes something, it's amazing. It's, over. it's golden. It's over. As somebody who's on the outside, I, I'm going to bring this back. As somebody who's on the outside of what you guys do, I really love YouTube's limitations because... It is forcing you guys to do things on these other platforms. So what I see of Kevin on, on Twitter is completely different than what I see from Kevin on Vsauce 2. That's awesome to me. Uh, I, I really like being able to see that depth and the different sides. And I'm seeing this with pretty much everybody I subscribe to and like. Uh, so as more on the viewer side... It's awesome. I'm sure it's frustrating. It's hard to know what the right move is, what the next thing to do is, where to concentrate your efforts. But for the rest of us, we simply get to see more of the people we like, the creativity, the genius, whoever it is. It's awesome. As long as they're doing it properly, in my estimation, well, because sure. I, sometimes there are people who I really like on one platform and then I follow them on another platform and then I unfollow them on that platform because I'm like, you know what? Uh, I didn't sign up for this. This is maybe too much information about you that I don't think I really needed. I got to um, say, like for me personally, I find it hard to be on other social media platforms. Yeah, I made a video on my second channel called Anti-Social Media, which is essentially, you know, I, I, I struggle to want to spend a lot of time there. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, like I've just... For most of them, I'm just like not really there. Um, I, I don't know what it is about me personally, but I just, you know, and partly it's since having kids. It's like I want to spend time with my kids. And, you know, like if I have pictures to share, they have my kids in them and I don't really want to share those. So, you know, I don't know. I just but like and pithy one liners for Twitter or, you know, any any like comments on Twitter. I don't know. Like partly I feel like, you know, shouting into a void or something. So and I, I, I just don't necessarily want to do that. So it's it's funny. I think everyone has like uh, an, an app maybe that feels like most at home for them. And for me, I feel most at home on YouTube or, you know, at least that's where I have felt at home. Um, but, yeah, I, I found it. I find other social media tough. I, I could see that, especially for on the education side, because I, I do find it tough. So I have two Twitters. I have my personal Twitter, and then I have my Vsauce 2 Twitter. And I agree with you that on the Vsauce 2 Twitter, it's harder to create content for that because it seems like there are higher expectations mm. and people are ex just expecting kind of brilliance from you all the time. I don't know. Maybe that's just kind of like a, a self-conscious thing where I kind of self-imposed weirdness on my part, but I do find that if I'm going to channel all of my brain power into something, it's going to be on YouTube. If I'm right. going to make a joke about pools of knives, um, I'm definitely not going to do that on YouTube. <laughs> it's just different. Um, or pools of mostly water that may contain knives. Oh, 
That's, oh. I think that's what the video is going to be about. Mostly water, uh -oh. but uh, spattering <laughs> of knives just to mix it up. Hence why they're rusty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before we wrap up on the Create Unknown, we love to display the creativity of our guests. And we do that by asking a random question that has no answer that you haven't heard before that you just have to make up on the spot. There is no right answer. There's no wrong answer. There's just your answer. So the question that I have for you, Derek, of Veritasium fame is to please invent a new element and tell us Anything about it, you know, who discovered it, what its unique properties are, perhaps what it's useful for, what it's not useful for. But Veritasium, tell us about this new element. An invented element. Well, can I tell you about the element of truth or does it have to be newer than that? It's all up to you. This is this is your time to shine. It's your stage. It's your ball. It's in your court. I, I mean, this is in some ways an easy question for me because I've thought about a lot about an invented element. Like my life is an invented element. Uh, the element veritasium. Like what does it mean to be an element of truth? Man, if I try to think of this as a physical element, it's very difficult because physical elements have certain reactivities with other things. I mean, when I think about what veritasium must be as an element, it has to be something more like the Higgs boson, something that permeates all matter and is not just one kind of thing, but in fact interacts with everything. A lot of people with the whole like veritasium thing get into this whole like you can tie yourself in knots if you try to think about truth too much, you know, like, oh, what really is truth? Is there any truth? Is it just like the things that you believe? Is that it? Uh, but like the very core of my being is this, this, this sense that like we are all better off when we search for the truth, when we know the truth and when we act based on things that are actually true rather than just as they appear to be or as we would like them to be. And so I guess I don't, I don't know if, if, if this is an element, but like it's an element of, of your life. The element of your life is to not let yourself fool yourself and to keep battling for truth because I have this deep-seated conviction that the truth is knowable. You can find it and figure it out. Science is often the best way to get there. Um, and then once you're there, you make better life choices and you're everything turns out better because you're, you're acting on reality as opposed to, you know, appearances or, or the way you'd like things to be. I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, to me, that's, that's the element of truth. What I just heard is that veritasium is in us, around us, always and forever. Yeah, yeah. And that's a lot more profound than like the invention of chicken nuggets. So I think that, uh, that's a good place to stop. And I think that exemplifies exactly who you are. So thank you very much for joining us. And um, yeah, talk to you later, man. Well, thank you for having me. All right, you are about to exit. And as always, thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Rode Microphones. Their awesome mics deliver the sweet sounds of our vocal reverberations directly to your ear holes. If you want to use the audio equipment that we do, go to Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E dot com and start sounding amazing. Special thanks to Derek Muller, a.k.a. Veritasium. Go check him out on YouTube. He makes some of the greatest science videos that you will ever watch. 
Literally, that is not an exaggeration. That's just truth. It's the element of truth that is Veritasium. We've got more info down in the show notes. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Also, please say hi to us in our Discord or on Twitter at Create Unknown. Subscribe to The Create Unknown for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Whatever that is, you are a unique flower and flowers bloom when they subscribe to the create unknown (laughs) you can also follow the show on facebook and instagram at the create unknown and our website is thecreateunknown.com we make this all pretty straightforward if you want to watch the show with your eyeballs tune in on youtube we also post clips on our highlights channel links in the description the create unknown is produced by triangle content We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check us out on YouTube at Vsauce2. Executive producer is Dave Kiney. This episode was edited by Adam Ganong. Our theme song is by the incredible Mega Drive. Special thanks to Paula Lieber, Maura Lewitt, and Dorothy Kiney. That's it. See you, Space Cowboys. 